Hello and welcome to WA Real. I'm your host, Bryn Edwards, and welcome back and thanks for coming back to us. Today we'll be investigating how everyday people do amazing things. And my guest today is Julie Isbell. Hi. Hello. <laughs> Julie is... Um, uh, recently completed the Triple Crown of Ocean Swimming, which is no mean feat, which involves completing the English Channel, which is 33 kilometres, the swim from Catalonia Island to California, which is 32 kilometres. Or Catalina. Catalina, even. Thank you very much. Catalonia, uh, very much in the news at the moment. Um, and Manhattan Island, which is 48 kilometres. Currently, just under 150 people have completed this feat. That's right. Indeed. And also, um, she's completed a double solo to Rotnest and also managed to sneak in an Ironman there. And also, recently, has graduated and become a fully-fledged doctor. Um, Jules, this is an incredible set of stuff. Um, let's dig into it. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Nice to be here. Thanks, Brian. Thank you. So, uh, I'll pick up from your accent. You, like myself, originally from England. Indeed. Pommyland. Pommyland, indeed. And you uh, born and grew up in Norfolk. I was, and I did. Indeed. Yeah, super stuff. Tell me, during your time when you were growing up in Norfolk, were you into swimming and endurance sports during that period of time? Um, well, my, my biological dad, um, he actually swam for England when he was young. Yep. But unfortunately, he passed away when I was six. All right. And um, after he passed away, mum and I went on a little holiday down to Bournemouth. And uh, basically, I spent that whole week in the hotel pool. And by the end of the week, I could swim. So we got back home, mum shoved me into lessons that didn't last very long and I joined the Deer Motors and I swam six days a week until I went to boarding school, age 12. Excellent. So, and then you went to boarding school? Yeah. And did you carry on swimming and doing endurance sports there? Um, at boarding school you could only swim once a week and one term a year, so uh, not really, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> so then it wasn't until I left boarding school at 16 and went to the local sixth form that I got back into swimming and lifeguarding and then it's sort of gone from there, really. Has it always been swimming? Uh, yes, mainly swimming. I'm the world's worst runner. Um, I like basically everything. I loved water skiing. I did that quite quite a lot, slalom skiing. Um, but swimming's my default. Excellent. So it's like you like being in the water. That's right. It's, it's accessible. It's free. It's easy. <laughs> it, is, it is indeed. It is indeed. And then you um, you studied. A, un a university back in England. That's right, yeah. You did microbiology. Uh, applied biology, yeah. Yeah, that's right. And then moved to Sydney shortly after that. Yeah, not long after that. Um, what was the appeal of coming to Australia? Uh, the guy I was going out with at the time, he always wanted to... boy involved. <laughs> of course. <laughs> um, he always wanted to live in Australia and I'd never been and we applied for residency, got in, came over. I loved it. He went back, I stayed. Excellent. And um, so you lived in Sydney till 2013 um, when you came over to Perth. That's correct. During that time, you set up the Bold and Beautiful. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Sure. Um, so Boxing Day 2008, um, I'd been for my morning swim and I was just having coffee afterwards with a girlfriend who'd been in surf lifesaving for 15 plus years with her beautiful twin daughters and her husband. Um, but she'd mainly been on the sidelines uh, watching and supporting those guys. And she just happened to casually say, um, yeah, about time I sort of joined in, and she wanted to start ski paddling. And I said, right. oh, Michael and I are getting ski paddles. Yeah, that'd be fun. We can all do it together. And she said, oh, yeah, but before I do that, I need to get my bronze medallion. I was like, oh, great. Michael and I are doing a bronze squad in February. Do ours. And, oh, but before I do that, I need to work on my swimming. Great. I'll take you for swim. When do you want to go? And so she said, well, tomorrow? Great. What time? Seven o'clock? Great. So she You're promised right. not to stand me up. Turned up. I rocked up in the morning earlier than that to go for a swim with a couple of my mates. And they were all teasing me saying, oh, who are you taking for a swim this morning? And I was like, oh, Jenny. And um, they're like, oh, and Deb and Anita and Cynthia. I'm like, what? Anyway, so Jenny, during that day, had phoned right. some of her girlfriends and said, Jules is taking me for a swim tomorrow. Why don't you come? Excellent. So uh, four or five of them rocked up that morning and none of them had really done any swimming for the last 15, 18 years and uh, eventually got them across to Shelley, from Manly to Shelley Beach, which is a beautiful 700 metre stretch across yep. an aquatic marine reserve. And um, it took about well, nearly an hour, lots of screaming and swearing and carrying on. <laughs> uh, but they eventually got there and they were just thrilled with themselves as they should be. And they're like, oh, that's great. We're walking back. I was like, you know we're not. 
and they swam back and they were just thrilled and so they can we do the same again tomorrow sure so they phoned a few more friends and the next day there was nine of us and uh seven years, eight years later, whatever we are now, nine years later, um, there's over 15,000 people. We've never missed a day. 15,000 people. And come rain, hail or shine, there's always a group of people rock up. It's common to see two or 300 people on any morning now, 365 days a year. And it's just been amazing. Wow. Wow. So that's quite a movement. That's quite an impact. It's monstrous. It's just been awesome. You must be quite proud of that. I'm really chuffed, you know, and what I'm most chuffed about is I was there nearly every day for four years. Yeah. And then when I moved to Western Australia, um, I had to leave it in the hands of a team of about 30 people. And what I'm most proud of is since I've been in Western Australia and that team of people, they've managed to keep the ethos, which is mm. that it's inclusive daily for everybody. And that hasn't, no matter how big we've got, that ethos hasn't changed. It's still incredibly inclusive. And that's what I love. Excellent. Excellent. What is it, do you think, that pulls all those people in to come for a swim every morning? You know, that it, lots of people ask that. And I think the fact that it is consistent. So it is seven o'clock every single day of the year. Yeah. You don't have to think, oh, what day is it? Oh, what time is it today? Is it on today? Oh, it's a public holiday. It is seven o'clock every single day of the year yeah so I think the fact it's consistent and it is inclusive um, you get up you do something there's something pretty special about being in the ocean yes it is a beautiful stretch of water in an aquatic marine reserve so yeah. it's relatively safe most of the time and full of marine life and you're doing it with like-minded people and the other thing which is pretty unique about swimming is everyone's equal in a pair of bathers yes very true <laughs> There are no um, secrets. There's no secrets. <laughs> there's no status. There's no no nothing. It doesn't matter what you do for work. Most people don't even know what everyone does for work because it doesn't even come into it. It's mm. kind of cool. Yeah. I, I find certainly going for a swim in the morning, it's very grounding. And um, yeah, afterwards, you're not talking about what you do for work or something. You're talking about your swim. Um, often mornings, a bit like now in spring everybody's shivering um but yeah it's very grounding and it's very sociable and yeah it's just an awesome way to start your day yeah it's like a common ground and everyone's just kind of buzzing on their endorphins and you're a little bit crazy to be getting up that early that cold yeah and you're sharing something kind of funky and most people do it with a smile on their face and it's kind of special it is it is i've read somewhere that if you own the morning you own the day and if you get up and go for a swim and you go and take on the natural beauty of the ocean and what have you, or even if you just go to the swimming pool or whatever, it's a cracking way to start the day. Absolutely. The day's always better if it starts with a swim. It does, it does, it does, or you get wet. <laughs> um, so during your time in Sydney, you were medical rep, is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Super. Um, and is that what you did during the entire time of being in Sydney? Uh, when I first arrived in Sydney, I was um, designing databases for clinical trials for a big pharma company. Um, and then I wanted to move into sales, but I need to prove I could work with people. So I was a clinical research associate for a little while. Yeah. And then I moved into um, drug repping sales and then medical devices. And then um, I eventually quit that because the bold and beautiful was taking up so much time. That so I the bold and beautiful became your full time job? Apart from the fact it was voluntary, yeah. yeah. <laughs> super, super stuff. And then in 2013, you decided to move from one side of the island to the western side of the island, Australia being one very big island. Um, what brought you to Perth? Um, I'd applied for medical school and I was lucky enough to be accepted. Um, the minor hitch was that I got offered a place in Fremantle. Right. So uh, couldn't be too much further away from Manly if I'd tried. Um, so basically I was running the Bold and Beautiful, swimming every day, living the dream. But I thought I can't just swim every day for the rest of my life. What do I want to do? And pretty much the only thing I want to do really, if I'm not swimming, is medicine. And so I went for it. And um, yeah, as I say, I was lucky enough to get accepted but Fremantle. Um, so I practically cried every day for three weeks when I found out, tried everything I could to find a way to transfer and still be in Sydney, but it wasn't possible. Um, so eventually I broke the news to everyone and had about six or eight weeks to move across to the other side of the country. Um, 
And in hindsight, it was the best thing that could have happened because if I'd have stayed in Sydney, I would have been trying to study medicine and trying to run the Bold and Beautiful and I'd have stuffed everything up. Yeah. Um, so as it was, I had to um, step back a bit from the Bold and Beautiful. So um, I still oversee everything as much as I can from here and I still visit when I can. Um, but an amazing team of people now run it and yeah. um, it's better than ever. So it's the best thing that could have happened. And you found a new home for your swimming? And I was lucky enough, coincidentally... Um, Francis came and swam with the Bold and Beautiful in Manly. Francis. From Polar Bears. Right, yes. Yeah. And as she signed up in the morning, she wrote her email address and it had Frio in the, in the email address. And I said, are you from Fremantle? And she said, yeah. And I said, oh, I haven't told anyone yet, but I'm actually moving to Fremantle. And so she said, that'd be great. And come and stay with us. And she was so cute. Like a few weeks before we arrived, she actually messaged me and said, when are you arriving? We're waiting for you, <laughs> uh, which was super cute. So she told us where we where she swam. So when we arrived, we rocked up at Port Beach, knowing there was a group there, asked for her. And so we were instantly welcomed. And it was like we had an immediate group of friends, all thanks to Frances. So just to this coincidence that she happened to come and swim just before Christmas in Manly because she was visiting friends there. Like So we had this instant group to join and it's it's been fabulous. Mm. Mm. Yeah, so Port Beach Polar Bears, thank you. <laughs> Indeed. So um, let's go to the Triple Crown now and, and these swimming endeavours. And, you know, um, I, I looked on the, the Rottnest Swim Association. You've got, uh, well, they've got a number of your solos there. I happen to know that there are a stack of other solos that you've done to and from Rottnest, but we'll come into that later. Um have you always been this inclined towards the endurance swimming or is this whole triple crown, double solo swim and Ironman business, has that just been a recent thing? Um, I'd have to say, as in most things in my life, they all seem to happen by accident. Right. So I had a big car crash in Sydney and I couldn't do anything after that and I ended up putting on about 10 kilos and I could do nothing and I was getting really miserable and eventually the orthopedic surgeon said all right well you can swim but don't kick your legs because I hurt my knee pretty bad and so I started swimming and that's when I met Michael and I was really scared of sharks and um as is everybody <laughs> rightfully so and if he Michael moved an inch to the left I'd move an inch to the left and um but then I learned to love it. And then the Bold and Beautiful came along and um, a group of friends of mine were doing Rottnest as a team and I couldn't go that year. And so I went the next year and I did solo and I kind of did okay. And the, I did the Bondi to Watson's Bay swim and I won that for what it's worth. And I thought, well, this is okay. I'm all right at mm. this. You hadn't done any of this before the car crash? No. Just swam. Just swam because I enjoy swimming. Yes. And I did competitive swimming as a kid and I did master yeah. swimming, but not long distance yeah. swimming. And um, So how old were you when the car crash happened? Oh, late 20s, late roughly. 20s. Yeah. 13, 14 years ago, whatever yeah. that is. Yeah, nearly 30, 28, something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so I just kind of enjoy it. And then it's all just evolved from there. And then, of course, when we moved over here, um, Rottnest is right on the doorstep, so yeah. it's a bit easier to cross. Um, and then a friend of mine in med school who was a year above me, who was my mentor, uh, came over one evening and said, I want to swim the English Channel. Will you do it? And we can train together. And I always thought of it, but never really. And some of my mates back in Manly in the Bold and Beautiful had done it. And one of my mates, James, always teased me that that was the thing I had to do because I'm from England and yeah. it never really floated my boat. The one I'd always wanted to do is the Cook Straits from North to South Island in New Zealand. Right. But when Michael Leith came over one night and said, would I do it? And Michael goes, you know what? You probably should. But it was going to be in the middle of my final year of medicine. Yes. And so I thought about it for a while, mess 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 messaged another friend of mine in Sydney who was a associate dean at Sydney Medical School who swims with the Bold and Beautiful, and he said, go for it. He said, Keep, continue your winning formula, do these crazy sports, and um, do well. And so, uh, honours or swim the English Channel, and I chose to swim the English Channel. It was the best decision ever. Because I had to get up in the morning, I had to swim. I've got some great friends at the Polar Bears that will swim with me or paddle mm. alongside me, and I stayed sane. And, yeah. uh Went over, unfortunately, Michael didn't do the English Channel. I did, and it was fab. I yeah. loved it. And it, well, I don't think I'd even knew about this thing called the Triple Crown until I was in Dover. And then people were talking about, oh, I'm going to do 
Catalina and Manhattan because I want to get the triple crown. I'm, the triple what? And so I Googled it and I was like, oh, yeah, why? well, I'd like to do that too. <laughs> right. Um, and as for the Ironman, um, I'm the world's worst runner, as I mentioned earlier. And I was talking to Titus, another polar bear, one day just over a cup of tea after a swim. And he was telling me about his marathon time. And I was like, oh, great. We're equally rubbish. <laughs> Let's do a triathlon. And we, saw, we pinky promised we'd do a half Ironman. And we did it. And then he said, okay, well, now I want to do the full. So you have to do it too. Um, so we did. Excellent. So the, so these challenges are just sort of spontaneously present themselves to you. Yeah. Do they then capture you? What do you mean by capture me? Do, do they, once they pop up, are they then like, do they sit there nagging at you? Like, you've got to do it. Or how does how how do you go from that's a good idea to commit we'll do this um well like the the iron man was a pinky promise with titus we looked into yep. it booked and did it same with the fall with the english channel um when michael put it there i sent an email out found a skipper and managed to find a window that was available mm. in my leave in 16 weeks time so they don't linger there they pop up mm. and then they happen excellent so once you've agreed, once you've sort of made a commitment to do it, um, how do you then set out going to do your training? So the English Channel was obviously the most confronting thing I think I've done. Why was that? Um, it's freezing. It's a long way. You hear all these stories of people don't get to finish. You hear all these stories of people that don't even get to start. Yeah. People train for two years to do the English Channel. They spend all this money, all this time, and then they get there and they don't even get a start. So Why don't they not get a start for the people who are listening to this who don't? Sure. Don't know. So the thing about the English Channel that is unique, and I didn't appreciate, I knew it happened, but I didn't appreciate what it was like until I got to Dover. And you have a window. So any other event I've ever done, it's on the 9th of December in 2016. Starting at 10 a.m. Yeah. And you sign up and 95% of the time it goes ahead. Yeah. Once in a blue moon, the conditions are such that it gets cancelled and that's it. Such is life. With the English Channel, you have a window and you are a number within a window. Right. So I had a, a window of five or seven days and I was number two swimmer in that window with my skipper. And the reality of that doesn't actually sink until you get there and you ring your skipper and he says... Your window doesn't start till tomorrow, but there's actually a chance we could go tonight. Are you up for it? Right. Sure. We all looked at each other. Yep. We weren't ready at all. We got off the boat, <laughs> up having a look around the boat. We sprinted to the shops. We got everything we needed. Nikki sent me to bed. Dave cooked. Michael and Nikki packed all the gear. And we got ready. Then I got up at seven o'clock in the evening, rang again to make sure it's on. Oh, no, it's not on. Right. Ring again tomorrow at X amount, whatever time, with because you have to ring a certain amount of hours before the tide. Yes. And then you ring tomorrow, no, it's not on. How do you handle that? It's a bit of a head spin. Yeah. Um, Nikki was amazing. So Nikki's a friend of mine from Manly who supports swimmers. Um, and for a few days we stayed in Dover and we just went through this routine. And after a few days, she's like, that's it, we're going on a day trip tomorrow. We've got everything packed. We're not going to be 40, more than 40 minutes away. They never let you go within two hours, less than two hours notice. We're going to Canterbury. We're going on a day trip. We're getting out of Dover. Right. And so we became tourists, but with our security knowing that we could be back, packed, well, we were already packed, but back, pick up the stuff, get on the boat within two hours. And that was the, like, they'd never give you that notice, but yes, we were prepared. And so we had a fabulous day out and it was great. And did you actually chill out during that day out? Yeah, I did. Oh, right. Yeah, we had some great days out. And like my mum and her friend were there, Dave and Nikki and obviously Michael, my partner, were all there with me. And then Greg, another friend from England, also came. And then another friend from London got the train and met us in Canterbury. For the so it was just so exciting to just yeah. all be there hanging out together. It was just like a massive buzz of a group of us all just being together, really enjoying the experience. If I'd have sat in Dover and gone through this every day and not had Nikki and Dave and Michael and all these yeah. people around me, it could be a real head spin. Mm. It probably would have been emotionally exhausting. It is. Even with that support there, you get so excited and you're ready and then, no, you're not. And it really, the first time it happened, it really set me for six. Yeah. 
not in a massive way, but it was like such a, you're so buzzed and ready and hyped and excited and you've eaten your head off head off because you think you're about to go and swim for umpteen hours yeah. and now you're not going. Yes. And so it's a, an anticlimax. And then you, this goes, this happens a few times. And I was lucky, you know, like eventually after a third or fourth time, I got to go. Yeah, so you have a two-week window. No, it's like a week's window. A week's window. So at what point during that week's window did you actually know you were going? Um, gosh, it all fades into a bit of a muddled yeah. blur now, but it was like the third or fourth attempt of going because within there there's a day or two of it's definitely not going to be tomorrow so don't even ring yeah um and then the day i was able to go the number one swimmer had by now arrived but she wasn't feeling great so she chose not to go so i got to go right actually in her spot right and she didn't get to go until 10 days later we'd passed the window and it was the, the day i was due to fly home so if she'd have gone when she should have I would have had to change my flights or my team's flights. It, that going on for another 10 days so would have been monstrously and, challenging, emotionally yeah. challenging. And that reality of that, you don't really appreciate until you're there and you've experienced it. Because mm. that doesn't happen in any of these other events. Yeah. Awesome. So you get the call. You're ready to go. So what do you do? You, you said you're eating. Yep. Um, so the, the day I actually went, it was an afternoon start. So that was another little the, head spin. <laughs> this is one thing that I didn't realize until after you'd completed it. So what time did you actually start? So I started at 4 p.m. And you swam for 13... 13 over... hours, 24 minutes. Yes. So you start at 4 p.m. So you swam through the night. Yep. How, how many hours of darkness? Well, well, thankfully it was June, end of June. So it's... Um, light in england then till like 10 30 at night so and the sun's up at about three four o'clock but that's starting still, to come like there's still four or five hours of darkness probably yeah probably probably six hours of darkness and um had you, I, had you prepared for that i've done some you know early morning starts yeah so i've swam in the dark um and all my friends that have done it, and most people that do it, the tides and the wind end up coinciding that you end up starting the early hours of the morning and finishing during the day. So it's yeah. kind of you start in the dark and the cold, and then as you're starting to get a bit cold and tired, the sun comes up, it starts to get warm, mm. and that kind of lifts you. Mm. But that's not what happened. <laughs> it's not what happened, and I hadn't prepared for that. And so when I knew that was happening, I was like, what? Hang on, I've got to turn this into a positive. How exciting. What a great challenge. Not many people get to do this. Whoa. <laughs> so that's a key skill there, just right there, turning this into a, a positive. And um, when it first got pitch black, that was my only blip. And it got pitch black because you don't have any light pollution out in the middle of the channel. Yep. But the, and then the boat turns on these great big fog light things yes. and it was like being on stage and having these lights shining at you so everyone can see you really well but you can't see them right and so the same happened for me while I was swimming they could see me and it lit up like a football field of ocean around me so they had a great view of me yes. but I couldn't see them yeah and it looked like Dave, Dave Nikki and Michael were on the edge of the boat all night they yeah. stood knee deep in water because it's a fishing boat water slopping around it was as rough as rough for the first six or seven hours they stood there all night didn't move which was legendary yes but when it got dark and they put these lights on i couldn't see their faces yes and i could just see their silhouettes and it looked like they were sitting talking to each other and not looking at me right and i was just starting to get a little bit anxious they're not looking at me i've never swam through the night what if i fall asleep what if I get hypothermic and I drift off? They're not even looking at me. They're not going to notice. When they look, I'm going to be gone. I'm going to be out of sight. I'm going to be dead. They won't know where to find me. They won't know how to find me. What am I going to, why won't they look at me? Why are they not looking at me? And all this, this, is, all going on in your this head. is all going on in my head. And I really wanted to get their attention and get them to look at me, but it wasn't going to stop. So this went on and I feed every half an hour. So this was going on for the most of a feed, probably about 20 minutes. And then when I had my feed, I was like, excuse me, would you mind please just to make sure one of you's always looking at me while it's dark and they're like we are oh cool thanks and then i just relaxed for the rest of the swim then you relaxed yeah you enjoyed it loved it excellent yeah 
And so you would have swum into daybreak? Swam into the dawn. I had this little monster of the lighthouse because they tell you don't look back, don't look forward. I knew I was always going to look back once. Yeah. I was like, there's no way I'm not going to look back and take in these amazing cliffs of Dover. Yeah. They're like, but don't. But I'm going to. Mm. It's not about how far have I gone. It's not about any of that for me. I just wanted to roll over once and just take in this amazing thing that I'm out in the middle of the channel and just enjoy that moment of seeing that seeing that so I did that once not far off the start and then they said don't look forward to France because it once you can see it it takes forever just like Rottnest you see the yes. land and you feel it's there and it kind of isn't yes but I couldn't help it it's pitch black and there's this great big lighthouse <laughs> shining this beam so I couldn't help but see that I wasn't looking for it but you can't pretend you haven't seen it so this was about nine hours in and I couldn't help but see this lighthouse or the light shining from it and I, oh my gosh Maybe I'm nearly there. Maybe I'm going to do like an amazing time. I'm going to really give it everything I've got. Right. I reckon I could do 10 hours. This is nuts. So I sprinted. One feed later, two feed later, three feed later, four feed later. Do you ever ask how far you are away? So at 12 hours, I was like, okay, what's going on? Why am I not nearly there yet? What's happened? And they're like, we don't know. You've missed the cape. Don't worry, we keep... And the, 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 what does missing the Cape mean? So you're aiming for Cape Grisnes. Yes. But the tides rule the waves. Yes. Uh, I had a fabulous skipper, who's just awesome. Um, but you can only do what you can do. Yes. And so the tide had changed earlier than they anticipated, and we weren't going to hit the Cape. So we weren't going to do the shortest route. Right. I had, once you miss the Cape, you've then got to go for a different stretch of land, which is a much further away because it's tugged in tucked into a bay um and but they had the skipper hadn't communicated with my team so they couldn't tell me when i asked and then eventually um that i can't remember if it, i think it was the one of the skippers came out and said okay we've missed the cape you we're going to wissant meant nothing to me <laughs> mm. um what did mean something to me is you've got another hour and a half just put your head down keep going Go on with it. great i've got something to deal with now hour and a half here we go because you, because the the channel is actually what is it, thirty three point seven kilometres. But you swam more like fifty, didn't you? I swam fifty. Yeah, Michael <laughs> wore the GPS on the boat, and the big boat doesn't come all the way into the shore at the beginning or all the way into the shore at the end. Yeah. And, and his the GPS on his wrist said forty nine point something. So mm. I did a good fifty. I did a good fifty k. Super. So you then you got an extra hour and a half of swimming. Yeah. How were you about that? Fine then, because I had something to deal with. Yes. And I didn't know what Wissant was, didn't know what I was aiming for, so there was no point looking around. I meant nothing, but I knew I had an hour and a half. And How were you feeling in yourself and your body at this point? Once they gave me that information, great. Hour and a half, good. I can deal with that. And then I process it down to, okay, well, that's like swimming to the fifth hut and back. You know, all you're going to do is swim to the fifth hut and back. And then I, then I start to play games. And the fifth hut, for people who don't know, Oh, I'm is, sorry. Is... <laughs> That's one of our regular training swims. And it's like four and a half kilometres. Yeah. Probably, um, I could probably do that a bit less than an hour and a half. But in terms of, you know, yeah. I try and place it to something that's familiar. And then I'm like, anybody can just swim that. And come on, now you've only got a foot bridge and back. Anybody can do that. It doesn't matter how tired. Like, and I just try and play games with myself. Yes, try break it down it, into known... That's, yeah, known yeah. bite-sized pieces. And then, so they have the little rubber ducky that takes you to shore at both ends. Yes. And so rubber eventually I, boat, yeah. yeah, eventually I saw um, one of the skippers jump into the rubber ducky and I'm like, yes, we must be nearly there. And I got so excited. So I really lifted again. Yeah. But he's sitting in this rubber ducky and he's fiddling with his radio and then he's fiddle, fiddle, fiddle. I'm like, come on, we must be nearly there. What, you're going to miss it. <laughs> And then he gets out of the rubber ducky and he must be changing the batteries in his little radio. Oh, I'm like, come on, this is so cruel. And then he gets back in the rubber ducky, fiddle, 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 fiddle. And eventually he starts the motor. And then when he lets the rope go and he detaches from the big ship, which felt like about three hours, this <laughs> is probably minutes. Um, and then he come alongside me. And when he came up close alongside me, I just took a breath and I said, take me to France, baby. <laughs> and we just went. It was excellent such a buzz well what's it like coming up on the beach because um you know you you, you do these big events like you say and um, there's a finish line and there's a pa system and there's people cheering and hollering it's not quite like that when you get to france is it 
No, it was kind of 5.24 in the morning and there was not a soul. <laughs> Just me. And every blooming beach in Europe is pebbly. Oh, not the one I landed on. It was this barren beach. And um, so when the skipper said, when you get ashore, clear the high tide mark, grab yourself a pebble or two as a souvenir and just come back as quick as you can. And so I get up and I'm expecting to feel a bit lightheaded and woozy because I've been kind of horizontal for the last 13 plus hours. Um, But I kind of felt okay. Oh, this is good. I reckon I can bend down and pick up a pebble without falling over. I couldn't blooming find one. So I spent a good few minutes rummaging around on the beach trying to find a couple of shells or pebbles as souvenirs, stuck them down my bathers. And there's a bit of a shore break too at both ends. Um, And so he sort of stayed about 30 metres out because he obviously didn't want to flip in the shore break. And uh, then I dived back into the water to swim out to the boat. And I was like, oh, my God, this water's freezing. (laughs) (laughs) Newsflash. Yeah. Uh, and then I swam out to the little rubber ducky. He helped me on the rubber ducky and I climbed up on, onto the boat and everyone was just beaming. It was really emotional. And they wrapped me up real quick and then I was freezing. Yeah. Then I started shivering. I saw the footage of you wrapped in a duvet on the boat coming back. Just this little face. <laughs> this one. Yeah, it made me feel cold <laughs> looking at you. So you get back, you warm up. What, what were the emotions like after that? Oh, so it was wonderful yeah my mum and her friend um were standing on the beach because my mum wasn't allowed on the boat she loves the boat she loves the rougher the better that wasn't the issue but she's too much of a worry what if anything went wrong she would have been nervous and you don't need someone nervous you need everyone calm and and cool and and not trying to pull you out you need them trying to keep you in if things go wrong um so she was banned from the boat but she was so cute her and her friend were standing on the shore and they had those like party streamers and a balloon a noisy thing that they were blowing and it was like there was only two of them but they were making enough noise for a whole parade and so got back to them and they were just so cute that was a real buzz and then as I said I had all these team of people on the boat with me as well um and everyone was just so happy because you know it was a massive journey for them too yeah so they'd experienced this amazing thing through the channel and they were all part of my training too and so I feel that it was an achievement for all of us and I really feel like all of us were celebrating and Mm. I love that I mean I found um when I completed my solo swim to Rottnest that despite the fact I mean I've run a marathon before and you just need your own trainers and you can clear off and and um and you just go and run and it's all by yourself but to actually go and and do something like this you, you need to ask help from friends and boats and all sorts of stuff and so yeah I really have to get out of your comfort zone in terms of asking for help which is not something we normally do um just to make it happen and yet when you get to the end you suddenly get kind of overwhelmed with the gratitude of all the people that have pitched in to help it's it is overwhelming like and training for catalina and manhattan i was overwhelmed by the amazing support marie and sharon and dave gave me yeah um when i was training for the english channel Dave would put his flippers on and come to the pool a couple of times a week and he'd paddle for me on nearly every single one of my long swims and then the one that he couldn't, Sarah, stood in for, um, which just blows me away. Like someone goes, I could do that if you want me to. It's like, yes, please, you don't say that twice. And the fact that people are happy to give up half a day to sit on a kayak freezing cold alongside you again and again and again is nuts. And then... Marie and Sharon for the you know for this year's um, events, day after day they'd like what time do you need to swim tomorrow? Because I fit it in with my shift work, and they'd just be sure, that's fine. If I needed to be at the pool, if I need to be at the ocean, they didn't mind. And like, but what do you guys want to do? They didn't like the fact that they were so giving. Still to this day, blows me away. Mm. And without them. It would have been so hard. But the fact that someone else is crazy enough to be at the beach at five o'clock in the morning in the middle of winter and swim in the pitch black alongside you, it's kind of cool. It's really exciting and it doesn't make it a chore. Mm. You can look forward to it. Without them, it would have been really hard. A grind. So you mentioned earlier on that 
it was in Dover that you first came across this concept of the Triple Crown. Mm. How long after completing the channel did this idea start to germinate for you? Um, well, I think I got back, looked into it, found out that for Manhattan, you the applications open at midnight or midday or whatever it was in November. Um, I was overseas at the time, so it wasn't a convenient time for me. I think I had to get up in the middle of the night or something crazy to... So it was going in, to happen. <laughs> and I put in my application um, and you have to apply and then you find out you were accepted. Um, so I applied, I got accepted. And so that I think I found out I got accepted in November or December. And so then I had this little obstacle called I hadn't started work yet. So I didn't know if I could have the leave. Right. So, and then I sent off... And another friend of mine was doing Catalina, which made the Triple Crown. So I was like, well, maybe I should do it too, because it makes more sense financially to do them mm. in the two together while you're already over there. Yes. Um, and they're only a handful of weeks apart, aren't they? Well, you, Catalina is a bit more like the channel. You need to find a skipper and you go on your own day, whereas yes. Manhattan is an event on a set date. Yes. Um, so I was trying to find a skipper that could take me, and there's only three skippers that will take you for Catalina. Um, and there was one that was um, nine days apart for from from Manhattan, um, so I committed to that too. And did I it, figured Catalina would just be another training swim for Manhattan. Excellent. And did it come as a big surprise to Michael, your partner, and others that you were going to do this? Or obviously, I talk about it with him, and he's like, "Well, apply, see what happens, we'll see." And then when it when it happens and it's there, you know what? He's amazing. He's always like. Okay. Super. So did you change anything about the training um, in the second this year? The only thing I changed was I signed up with um, Paul Newsom at Swim Smooth. Ah, who former you've already guest. <laughs> former guest of yep. WA um, and I did a one on one session with him and then he found me a spot in his squad and so I tried to go to his squad twice a week when I could when it fitted in with my um, shifts to his two endurance sessions a week and that really helped as well mm. so rather than doing all my training on my own because the year before for the channel I forgot to say I'd recruited Vlad who um, friends of mine in Manly train with I'd contacted him and he'd written me a program yeah so I just used his program religiously for 16 weeks and so this time around I repeated that same program I figured well it worked last time so I'll yep. just do the same 16 weeks training this time um, only I replaced two sessions a week when I could instead of doing Vlad's one I was on my own in the pool or on my own with yeah. Dave, Marie and Sharon. Um, I joined Paul Newsom's squad, yeah. which was really nice because it was instead of fighting people doing something different in a lane, everyone's going in the same direction, yeah. um, doing the same thing. And, and the, the guys and girls there were really awesome, like happy to just embrace me in their squad. And that was a real nice buzz meeting new people. That, that was a bit of a lift that helped this year as well. Excellent. Excellent. So... You, you actually here's a question what how do you deal with the cold um i put on 11 kilos in the 16 weeks wow right. so i contacted a nutritionist and um tara and uh in queensland and she um helped me over the line and basically i ate whatever i wanted plus extra chocolate plus extra ice cream plus oil with everything and cheese with everything and it worked. Right. Uh, the and only... that's to keep you insulated from the cold. That's right. So they say you want to put on, I think it was, is it an extra sort of 10 kilos to what you really should be? Mm. Um, and then you've got to be not too vain to gain, really. Yeah. <laughs> the only problem is after you've eaten your head off like that for 16 weeks, it's kind of a bit hard to stop. Yes. <laughs> you've got a bit of a, a sweet tooth and... Um, yeah. yeah so the hard bits now is um changing that now changing that now yes <laughs> so you go over to do um catalina first was it the um did it help having the dover experience before of is, is it the same in terms of there's a window and it opens and closes and you don't know when you're going no so catalina is um you find the skipper and you go on your own night right um a catalina is a night swim um, so you really got this night swim. Yeah, I've got this night thing happening. <laughs> um, so you meet this boat at seven o'clock at night and then you pootle over to Catalina and then you start swimming as soon as you're ready. So I think I set off about 10.30 at night. And um, Catalina, from where you set off, that nobody lives on that side of the island. So there is zero light pollution from the get-go. 
And unlike the Dover boat, the Catalina boat doesn't shine floodlights on you. Right. In fact, they basically pretty much turn their lights off. And when it's feeding time, they light these two little green glow sticks on the steps of the boat. And that's what you aim for to go over and be fed from the boat. And at this time I had Amanda came over um, and she flew over and paddled for me all through the night, legend. Mm. Um, And so there wasn't this um, head spin of we might be, we might not be. It's like that's our night and that's that. Yeah. Yeah. So what time did you set off? I think I set off at 10.30 at night. And how long did you swim for? Uh, 10 hours and a bit. 10 hours, 20 maybe? I can't quite remember. So half of it's in the dark, half of it's in the light. Um, Well, it was set off. It didn't get light till about 5.30 in the morning and I finished about 8 maybe. What goes through your mind while you're swimming in the dark there? Um, Well, you know what? It's like I said, it was blacker than black. Like all the training swims I'd done early morning, like I'm comfortable swimming in the dark now because I've done so much to it and I've obviously you know Marie and Sharon and Dave have been amazing doing it with me so thankfully never on my own Mm. um and I had Amanda in the ski right next to me and then the boat right next to her so I'm not on my own but the phosphorescence in Catalina is like an electric light show it's out of this world entertaining that goes on all night all night as you put your arm in the water, these like silvery blue neon lights just wow. is this disco light show underwater in front of your eyes. And it you can't like it's just entertainment. It's you get a bit of phosphorescence at Port Beach and it's beautiful. You get a little bit of phosphorescence at Manly. It's beautiful. This is out of this world. It's insane, nuts, crazy, wonderful. Wow. The scary moment was when this creature arrived (laughs) so as well as all these like neon light bubble things occasionally you see this like what i try to describe as a really dull torch somebody's just waved this torch that's almost flat in front of you so it's like a ribbon of this really dull light yeah and that kept happening i was like what is that and then i think i realized you know what i think that's fish and as the fish swim they managed to light up the phosphorescence, but not in this neo neon not sort of as splashy as you yeah. Are. And so it's this dull ribbon moving movement, and so that's quite entertaining too and a bit distracting. But then all of a sudden there was this thing, a bigger thing, out to my right in my periphery, and I took a, a breath and I said to Amanda, "We've got a creature. I think it's a whale. It's still there. Oh wow!" And then it disappeared, and then it rose. So it's Apart from this biophosphorescence, it is black, black, black. And this patch of dull light started to emerge from directly underneath me and got closer and closer and closer. And I said to Amanda, oh my God, we got the whale. It's back. It's still here. It's right underneath me. And for some reason, I thought I had to whisper. And it really freaked me out because I thought it was going to keep coming and lift me out the water. And I almost jumped on the back of the kayak. Like, it it was it's huge. All I could see was this mottled pattern of the white. And I couldn't see past it. So I guess it was a whale because what else would be that big at my pace right there that could control itself to be my pace and be right there? Yeah. I still to this day don't know what it was, but I guess it was a whale. If I touch the kayak, that's it. It's all the swim's all over. So I couldn't freak and jump on the back of the kayak. Yes. I had to stay there, and it was amazing, exciting, but a little bit scary. And it just stayed there. And then when I stopped for a feed, I said to Michael, "Michael, we've got this whale," and it came up like right underneath me. And he said, "Well, if it's a whale, that's not going to hurt you. That's okay." And I was like, "Yeah, good point." But it could just give me some space now if it likes. <laughs> yes. And then I started swimming again and it didn't come back. Wow. But that was nuts. And then towards the end, it got daylight and the guys on the boat and Amanda said to me, we've got a feeding frenzy. And I looked up and all I could see was loads of birds and these dolphins jumping. I was like, wow. And people said, weren't you scared? You're about to swimming to a feeding frenzy. Didn't even think about that. All I thought was, oh my gosh, I'm going to swim through all these marine creatures. That is so amazing. Yeah. And... There was 
I mean millions of silver bait fish about, what's that, three or four inches long? Yeah. And some of them were swimming, like thousands of them were swimming alongside, and some of them were just static, hanging vertical that I swam right through. So I think they must have been hit by the dolphins and they were either dead or stunned. Yeah. I've never seen anything like it before. The dolphins weren't like our bottlenose dolphins that we see. They were these little shorter ones and they had like these grey stripes along the side and they went whizzing past. And then I had a seal and the seal came right underneath me rolled over, eyeballed me, swam underneath me to to my feet and totally leapt full body out of the water. And the Michael and the guys on the boat said it was amazing. Landed back in the water, swam around and did it one more time. Far out. How could that be scary? It was, what an experience. Wow. Far out. And th- this was all at night time or? As the, that, the feeding frenzy was in dawn. Dawn. Yeah, so it was light. Yeah, so I could see it all and appreciate it all. Fantastic. And then you go to to a beach, similar to finish? Kind of a beach. Kind of a beach. <laughs> it's kind of boulders and rocks, and they move with the surge, and the ending was petrifying. Why? So when I got on the boat, they warned me about the ending, and they said, oh, there's a bit of a surge. And I'm like, do you mean a surf? They're like, no, no, it's kind of waves, but it's a surge, and... It can be some seaweed there. So so they talked me through the finish. So you'll swim through this sort of seaweed patch and it can be a bit foamy. And then there's a surge and you're on these rocks and these boulders. So just be careful and don't stand up because as the wave goes back out, you can fall fall over in the fact you might not be so steady on your feet. Yes. Um, Stay on your hands and knees and wait till you've cleared the high tide muck before you try and stand up. Okay, got it. Um, Jack... Jax came on board. She was a local girl that came on board at the last minute and she paddled one section through the night and she said, what would you like me to do? I'm like, finish the swim with me. That would be so amazing. Jump in and finish the swim with me. That would be so cool. And so she did. Oh my gosh, am I glad she did. The ending was petrifying. Surge, there was waves. It was a shore break. It was massive. The guys on the boat said they've never seen a finish like, like it. It was full-on waves breaking dump shore dump onto these boulders these rocks so you swam for 10 hours and then you have to deal with this and the seaweed non-issue the foam non-issue but these waves on these boulders breaking as you think you're there you're trying desperately to cling onto them and as the water goes back out they roll back out they roll onto you you flow back out I squashed my fingers. They're still sore today. I must have broken two of them. Michael yeah. teases me and says, yeah, right. But I must have. They're still sore. Yeah. Um, I was cut all over. Um, yeah. Having Jack's next to me, having someone else's yeah. eyes to look into was really helpful. I, I'm so grateful that she was in the water too, because yeah. I do like to share things. I don't like doing things on my yeah. own. That's a good point. Yeah. And then, is that it? You don't have to get back in a boat and go back out. Oh, you do. Oh, you do. So you have to go back into those waves. (laughs) So I cleared the high tide mark and sat down because I think I was in shock. And then it was time to get back in. There was one guy standing on the beach um, and he he ran some business, like a stand-up paddleboard around there or something. So he knew the waters. And another guy that had also swam the same night as me, he Mm. was just in front. So there was actually three of us trying to get in to the shore at the same time so we there was three of us sort of together and then this guy standing on the beach who talked us into going back out and the other guy's paddler was as close as he could physically be yelling instructions so when it was time to get back in he was yelling instructions go now don't go now and the guy standing on the beach held my hand because <laughs> even trying to walk on these yeah unstable pebbles to try and get back in is a little bit yeah, especially freaky. after 10 hours of being horizontal. So he held my hand and like took me in as far as he could before he would have got saturated. And then there comes a point when you just got to trust their judgment and dive into it and hope that you're not diving into a boulder. Mm. And But once you get away from that shore break, it's fine. It's just a bit foamy and grey and seaweedy. But the, that bouldery finish, that that's a bit ugly. Yeah. So how did you feel after that, knowing... I mean, it must have been a great achievement, but you also know you're off to Manhattan in a couple of weeks' time again. Well, I had a little week's break in Mexico in between. So I was excited to have my little holiday to look forward to. And I decided 
that I wasn't going to, well, if I was going to swim in between, it would just be a little bit, I wasn't, that was it. That was the, Catalina was my last training swim for Manhattan. Yeah. And I just focused on having an amazing holiday. Yeah. And um, didn't worry about Manhattan until I landed in New York. Yeah. So. And then what was that swim like? Because that's now, you're back to the world of events. Yeah, I know. And, and what, the, what are the conditions like? The more So I'd never even been to New York before. So I well, it's one way to look around, <laughs> isn't it? Um, and people say oh, they love New York. And I'm not really a city girl. So I wasn't really, I've never really, yeah, if I go to New York, I could correct, great. But I've never really desperately wanted to go to New York. So I wasn't too worried. Um, but I landed and... There is something special there. I felt, I got, drove into New York in this cab and I felt overwhelmed with emotion. Hmm. And then the next day we got up and went round on the ferry, the cruise all the way round. And I felt overwhelmed and emotional then too, thinking, oh my gosh, I am swimming around this island. What a privilege. And the fact I'd gone around on the ferry which was my paddler's um, idea. Mm. And I was fortunate enough to have the same paddler that Paul Newsom had when he won it a few years before, um, who was a gorgeous man from Mexico. Um, and he said, if you're going around on the cruise, look at this point, look at this point. When you get here, this is Hell's Gate. And what we'll do is this, that and the other. So I had all these things to look for. And that was amazing because when I swam it, I, I wouldn't say I knew where I was going, <laughs> But I had some idea of where I was based from the having done the cruise a couple of days before. And so I had landmarks. And how lucky is this? I only breathed left. Yes. And I swam <laughs> clockwise around Manhattan. So I had Manhattan view yes. all day. And being fortunate if it was the other way around. It would have been very unfortunate <laughs> if it had been the other way around. Um, so I honestly felt like a privilege and everyone says, oh, but the water's disgusting in Manhattan. Yeah, it was brown. And yes, on the shoreline, it's all the debris because that's where it gets washed into. But as soon as you jump in, you don't think of that. I did think, don't swallow this water. Mm. So, of course, all day I swallowed the water. Yeah. <laughs> and um, another friend from the beach, Nick, um, he said just before I left, are you going to count the bridges? Because there's 21 bridges. And I was like, no, I don't think I'll be able to do that. But I had that idea in my head, thanks to Nick. And so I counted all the bridges. And so yeah. every time we went under a bridge, I said to my paddler, one. And he kind of smiled. And then when we got to the next one, I was like, two. Yeah. And then by the third one, he'd got into the idea. So we were doing it together. And I didn't lose count. One time I lost count, nearly lost count. I thought, oh my gosh, what number bridge is this? Oh no, I've lost count. I can't lose count. No, that's right. Um, the paddler was eating at number eight. And I remember at the time thinking that was really funny. He ate at number eight. Right. Uh -huh. <laughs> Trust me at the time when yeah, you, <laughs> these things are funny. <laughs> um, and so I thought, that's right. We must be at number nine. And that's the only time I nearly lost count, but phew, didn't. And um, so then when I finished, the, you know what? You fly. So you start on the East River and I was doing like 11 knots. I was flying. So I got to Hell's Gate early. Um, but it was a little bit slack, so we cut through it like butter. So this fear of Hell's Gate, which is all I had. All I had for Manhattan was people tell you they get stuck at Hell's Gate and it's all why, over. Why is that for anybody who doesn't know? Um, three rivers come in together at once, and so the water's really swirly and messy, and you've like if you miss the slack tide of Hell's Gate, it can be impossible to swim through. And then if you experience that and you can't get through, then they put you on the boat, take you a kilometre, and then you get to finish the swim. But then you've got a boat-assisted finish, yes. and that doesn't obviously then qualify as a for the Triple Crown. So I wasn't worried about finishing. I don't care about what my time is. Um, all I cared through. about was I I've got to get through Hell's Gate. So I had that was my only anxiety about Manhattan, was I've got to get through Hell's Gate. And how far into the race is that? Um, it's about... 16k from memory right yeah and so they set you off on waves based on the time that you swim per hour they set you off in waves and i was paranoid that i wouldn't be able to swim the pace that i'd said i have so i asked if i could go in the wave before they gave me because i was so worried about hell's gate yeah and it was a non-event when i got there and so once i got through that um alex my paddler said that's it we're through i was like oh wow and then it was just a matter of yeah. One arm after the other, keep going.
Was it more straightforward because it was not in the middle of the night and things like that? I don't know about straightforward because it was different and it's got the challenges. Yeah, swims that... don't swim themselves. <laughs> you don't swim downhill. Um, no, unfortunately. <laughs> but it was kind of, you know, you have something to look at all day. And when you do these channels, you've got nothing to look at at all, apart from your paddler and your <laughs> boat, which whilst they're beautiful. <laughs> yeah, very <we're> <laughs> Um and Manhattan just had this scene, this amazing skyline scenery all day. And I just felt so in awe and privileged to be experiencing this. Like, I am swimming around Manhattan Island. I didn't even really know where it was. It was only a few weeks before that someone told me they'd Googled Manhattan and it faced this way, not that way. And they thought it faced some other way. And I was like, oh, really? <laughs> didn't even really I'd never even googled it and I thought yeah. this is a bit awkward I better google it too so I actually had no appreciation of what really I was doing and all the names of all these rivers meant nothing to me until I got there and did the cruise and then swam it and I was like this is special yes and then when I finished because the highlight of it being an event there was people standing on the sideline clapping and cheering people I didn't know like it was amazing and then you finish and of course you've got the other 11 people that have swam that day and all their crew and I was so lucky because Kai a friend of mine from Manly Bold and Beautiful was swimming on the same day and Emma from Vlad Swims Group she was swimming on the same day so they'd done it too so that was a real buzz something we could share Mm. and Nikki who supported for me on the channel she was supporting Kai so she was there so it was like yay the whole gang's back together and so we went out for dinner that night and so it was that was super cool to have people friends to share their success on the same day was yeah that was really special far out far out so you have many times referenced all the help and everything that everybody's given you what have you learned about yourself through these through through completing this if you want to do something you can Simple as that. Yeah. Just go and do it. Yeah. At the end of the channel, you get to write on the wall in the pub. And all these people had written all these quotes. And I was like, oh my gosh, what am I going to write? And I, I'm not, I don't feel I'm very creative. I don't, I don't like spontaneously, can you come up with stuff? Nah. And then someone just said, well, what do you think? And I was like, dream, believe, do. And that's basically, dream up an idea, believe you can do it do it and it's like when Lee said she wanted to do rockness and did I think she could do it and I said if you think you can do it you can do it and it's true because if you for the listeners out there tell, tell us about Lee she's so Lee's an older lady yes <laughs> um who was inspired by Michael um and she was never really a swimmer yeah and she started swimming and we introduced these badges that we do in the bold and beautiful but that's a whole other story we introduced that at port beach and so she wanted to train up for her 10k badge and as she was training up she started training in like september to be able to do her 10k badge by the end of february she had to do it by the end of january end of summer and as she was training up for that she's like she did her 10k and she's like do you think i could do rottenness and from going from not really big genuinely not really being a swimmer within a year training up mm. in her 60s and then going to do rotness mm. incredible and how much do you think speaking to someone like you helped to make that decision you'd have to ask her that <laughs> i'm very struck by your humble nature i remember i remember standing on the beach when you came in from Rotnest for one of your uh, training swims for the channel and um, within 10 minutes you were making us all tea for saying thank you it's just it, it's incredible it really is think believe dream believe do I love it um, so one last question if you could go back to have a chat with that Jules that was set, just about to say uh, yes to was it Jenny on the beach yeah yeah and and if we take that moment if you could go back and have a chat with Jules and and give her one piece of advice bef- before she goes off and starts the bold and the beautiful and then goes on and does all the stuff that you've done what what would you tell her oh my gosh 
Don't overthink it, just do it. Excellent, excellent. Awesome stuff. Well, Jules, it's been an absolute pleasure and a treat to capture your story and listen to it. Um, it's also good to get it out of you because <laughs> you, you're such a humble person. Whenever I meet you, it's like, yeah, well, I just did it, you know, and this, that, and the other. So to actually hear the story and capture it for anybody else that's out there interested in doing great stuff, you know, it, it's awesome. So thank you so much for taking the time and speaking so honestly about it. Thanks. Thanks for being interested. Appreciate yeah, it. Yeah. And, and, and thank you to all the listeners out there that um, have, have listened to this story. Oh, I, there's so much in there I think you can take out of this. Um, I hope you enjoy it and um, we'll see you again next time. Charles, thanks for your time. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs>